Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And we once again welcome back in Jimmy Stein, team expert for Bama Online. Jimmy, let's start with this. Can you see me? Oh yeah, I see you. You're uh, you're moving. the 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 pieces are moving, and uh, your ventrilo your ventriloquist guy is uh, moving the mouth and everything. Yeah. It, uh, what the weird part is is that uh, you could see me in the last one, and then we go yeah. back, and it's just a black screen over me. Um, yeah. Maybe it wasn't my best day looks wise, <laughs> and the camera just decided, you know what, we're going to help you out, buddy. Uh, maybe it was that, but for whatever reason, I don't know if my solution, it was probably a, a, a terrible solution, but I was like, I'll just grab a screenshot from a previous video, slap it up there. So it's not just a black blank box yep. and you know, we'll see if anyone notices and people definitely noticed uh, it, the, the comments were <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. Someone said that I don't think anybody's going to beat Clinton uh, in a staring contest. Just, I love the creativity, love the roast. It was fun, but we're here to talk about some you know, one of the best matchups that I can remember covering, uh, to be quite honest. I mean, there's been some good ones, but you know, last year you had Tennessee's elite offense that you kind of worried about as uh, you know, with Alabama's defense and statistically speaking, Alabama's defense was pretty good, but you knew there were limitations. And so, you know, it, it wasn't like this elite defense versus this elite offense with these two groups. Um, one of the best defenses in college football, hands down, if not the best defense in college football, against, you know, uh, I, I would say a more of a sure thing at this point would be LSU's offense being the best offense in college football. So, Jimmy, you know, we'll kind of just go ahead and kick this thing off. What are your thoughts on Alabama's defense and how it matches up with this LSU offense? Well, it's a little scary, right? I mean, this is the best offense Alabama will face this season for sure. Could be the best offense in college football, statistically. They are, and they've played a fairly tough schedule. They haven't exactly uh, racked up these numbers against a schedule that, like Georgia or Michigan has played, LSU's played a schedule per the uh, analytics people, uh, every bit as good as, as Alabama's schedule, which makes sense because we're, we're both in, we both play an SEC West schedule and they played Florida State, Alabama played Texas. So, so we've played a very similar schedule, and they've just dominated on offense. Uh, it, it reminds me a little bit of Tennessee last year, a little bit. But Tennessee last year, Clint, uh, you know, they they scared you vertically. They scared you in the in the pass game, but and they ran the ball really well. You know, LSU started this year almost struggling a little bit to run the ball, other than Jaden Daniels scrambles. Uh, but as the season's gone on, they found a little bit of a run game with Logan Diggs. And uh, gosh, they're, they're just a little scary. I don't think they're quite as good as Tennessee's offensive line was. You know, I, I think that was part of the, the story last year in that Tennessee game for me, Clint, was that Tennessee offensive line led by Darnell Wright, who ended up being the first offensive lineman taken in the draft, uh, totally dominated Alabama's pass rush. And he negated himself, Will Anderson, entirely. Uh, in that game, I don't think LSU is going to have quite as much success getting Alabama's front group blocked. So I'm a little more hopeful that Alabama will have an effect in this game. And uh, of course, we talked about it on the last show, so we won't spend any time on it. But what gives me even more hope is, you know, Tennessee wasn't great on defense last year, but they were better than what LSU is this year. I mean, LSU just defensively numbers wise has been, you know, pretty bad. So I don't think Alabama needs to get in a track meet, but because of the defense, because of what we're going to talk about today, Alabama's improvement in the front seven and because of Alabama's cornerbacks matching up with those LSU outside receivers, I think Alabama is better suited to win a Tennessee 2022 type game uh, than they were a year ago. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think the defense is going to let this turn into a total track meet where LSU scores 52. Yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm right there with you on that. I think that LSU is going to find plenty of success. Uh, you know, you can't abandon what you 
kind of preach um, unless, you know, new information comes to light. And something that I've always preached is when you have an elite offense going against an elite defense, the elite offense is going to prevail nine times out of ten. And so, you know, I think that that's going to happen on Saturday. And what would be very concerning about this would be if LSU had a serviceable to good defense. And the fact that not only have they struggled, but the injuries at corner or the guys who are out, I don't think all of them are injury related, but you've got guys like Sage Ryan playing out on the perimeter and he's more of a safety. You know, he's played some nickel, uh, but putting him out there at, at corner, I would maybe say uh, he's not Xavier McKinney by any means, but I would say, you know, McKinney had that ability to play outside at corner or maybe a Brian Branch is a more recent example. And I don't think that Sage Ryan is even close to Brian Branch either. But it would be like if Alabama had so many injuries or absences where they would have been forced to play Branch as a perimeter corner last year. That's kind of how I would put it for Alabama fans who are wondering, you know, what that could potentially mean. But then you also, it's also possible that you have two true freshmen out there starting for LSU at corner. And I know we're talking about Alabama's defense and LSU's offense. We already, you know, touched on that. But I think that, you know, that has to make you feel better if you're an Alabama fan. Now, I'm not saying that Alabama's defense is going to get, you know, drummed up for four quarters and that they're not going to get their fair share of stops. I'm saying by the end of the game, you're probably looking at a situation where LSU is scoring in the low 30s, low to mid 30s. I mean, and it could get uglier than that. If it does, I don't like Alabama's chances. Um, you know, I, th I think anywhere from the high 20s to mid 30s, if if you can get that, um, it, Alabama, based off of what I think their offense could potentially do, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. But, uh, you know, I think that they have a chance to win this football game. But there's a couple of things that Alabama needs to do offensively to help out this defense. And number one, it's avoid the three and outs. That has to happen. There's been way too many runs where you've seen Alabama's offense struggle to get anything going consistently for long periods of time. You have to avoid that because every time uh, that you do that, we keep talking about keeping LSU's offense off the field. You're not doing that if you're going three and out. You're giving them plenty of opportunities. You're putting Alabama's defense in a situation where they're playing a lot of snaps early, kind of like you saw against Tennessee. And had they not been able to right the ship early in the second half, it could have continued to be pretty ugly. But I think they were able to do enough offensively, put some points on the board, get some things going, get some long sustained drives, run the football well that the defense had time to kind of catch its breath and, and get that second win going. Uh, so that's one thing the offense can do to help out this defense. The other is take advantage of your stops. When your defense goes out there and they give you the football, they force, I don't think there's going to be a ton of stops in this game. There are going to be some for sure, but Alabama needs to take advantage of those opportunities. You can't have Alabama's defense get a stop, get some momentum going, and then you go out there and go three and out and then, hand LSU the football right back, you know, in, with favorable uh, field position and things like that. So while we're talking about Alabama's defense against LSU's offense, I did at least want to bring up the fact that there are some things offensively that Alabama can do to try to help, you know, with a natural disadvantage that, that the defense is going to have in the current era of college football. Yeah, well, running the football, I mean, we talked about that some. I mean, I, I think if Alabama can have some success running the football, keeps LSU off the field, sets up the the big play, and I think Alabama is most likely to score in this game off the, the long bomb, I mean, which has been real successful for Alabama all season with the big pass play from uh, from Milrow taking advantage of the fact LSU's down those corners has Sage Ryan at corner that's a that's a good matchup for Jermaine Burton it's a good matchup for Isaiah Bond and as you talked about earlier in the week Clint a great story uh, Amari Nyblack looks like uh, you know this could be a big week for him so Nyblack inside the numbers maybe Burton and Bond outside the numbers making plays uh, I, I think that could all be set up by the Alabama run game which sets up those pass plays, but also keeps Jaden Daniels off the field. So I, I agree that the offense can really help the defense this week. The defense is going to need some help because Jaden Daniels, he, he is something else. Where I think Alabama is better suited, though, to deal with Jaden Daniels, though Clint is inside at linebacker. Last year when Alabama played this game, Deontay Lawson was, was uh, suffering from a late-season injury. Uh, he played some down the stretch. Some games he had to sit out. 
but he was at best playing hurt in this game. And uh, he was one of the main spy options Alabama had. The other one was Henry Toa because Henry was healthier. He sort of drew that assignment. And, you know, I'm a big Henry fan. I think Henry is really way over-criticized by Alabama fans. But at the same time, I also readily admit Alabama is better at inside linebacker this year than they were a year ago with a healthy Lawson, with the emergence of Jihad Campbell, uh, Trez Marshall, the Georgia transfer. I think Alabama is just better at inside linebacker than they were a year ago, better coached, better players. And I think Jihad Campbell, Trez, and Deontay Lawson all bring something to the table this weekend in terms of spying on Jaden Daniels, uh, being uh, smart about their assignments in terms of the spot. You know, when you're the spy, it's a big mental thing, right? You got to know when to attack, when to sit, when to drop when to play laterally, when to drift with the quarterback, when maybe to watch for, hey, maybe he's drifting because he's going he's gonna to throw to a short field kind of a slant, you know, to, the, to Mason Taylor. I mean, you, you got to kind of keep your head on a swivel and make smart decisions. I like Trez in that regard. I like Lawson in that regard. And as just an attacking type player, I like Jihad Campbell in that regard. So I think Alabama's better suited to, to take on Jaden Daniels this year. But at the same time, I acknowledge, Clint, I'm sure you agree, Jaden Daniels is also a better player than he was a year ago. I'm sure that starts with decision-making. Uh, Jaden Daniels, amazingly, Clint, not only is he a five-year starter, a five-year starter, started day one as a true freshman at Arizona State. The only game I could find that he has missed because of injury was LSU's bowl game last season because he got hurt against Georgia and the SEC championship game and he missed the bowl. He, that's how experienced this guy is. Not only a five-year starter, he's missed one game in five years. So I, I saw a, a, an earlier comment today about how Jaden Daniels, Daniels is the player that Alabama fans would like Milrow to be. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Just keep in mind that at this, Jalen Milrow's nearing the end of year three. By the end of year three for Jaden Daniels, he had already started two full seasons worth of games that, that Milrow doesn't have. So I think Milrow, yeah, it would be great if one day he developed into what Daniels is today. But you literally have to give Milrow another two full years, and he still wouldn't have the starts that Daniels has in his career. Yeah, and um, all excellent points. And when you look at Daniels, one thing from the jump, even dating back to his freshman year at Arizona state, he had kind of a, a clutch gene. He had the ice in the veins, you know, that there, there were moments that should have been probably too big for a first year player that didn't seem to be too big for him. And I think that having that gene is somewhat worrisome when you're trying to rattle a quarterback with a home crowd and an elite defense. And that's why you have to play elite defense for four quarters. And like I said, you're not going to completely shut down this LSU offense. I just don't believe that's going to happen. But you have to continue to play good football because I don't think you're going to get him to a point where he spirals and now the game's kind of taking care of itself. He's making uncharacteristic mistakes. He's handing you opportunities. You're going to have to continue to get stops the old-fashioned way. You're, I don't think LSU is going to give, or Jaden Daniels is going to give Alabama anything defensively. Uh, they're going to have to earn everything that they take. And they certainly are capable of taking quite a bit. I'm not saying that they're not, but I'm saying it's not going to come easy. Every bit of it is going to be earned, uh, kind of like every yard that Jace McClellan and Royda Williams have had this year, at, you know, at least in the early parts of the year. Everything is earned. I will be curious to see how Alabama's defense attacks this LSU offense because last year they went with the approach of nickel rabbits. You know, the, uh, uh, Dallas Turner played a, a lot of snaps. Obviously, Will Anderson played a lot of snaps. You did see uh, Chris Braswell rotate in quite a bit, but they were pretty much exclusively in nickel rabbits with two outside linebackers in the field and two defensive linemen. That's not what Alabama's doing this year. You know, primarily, they typically have gone with the heavy nickel. So you got three defensive linemen and only one outside linebacker. But against this LSU passing game, would Alabama feel more comfortable going with that route? Because, I mean, I wouldn't say they had a ton of success against LSU's offense. I mean, maybe at times last year, but I mean, you give up what 
was it 34, uh, 33, maybe it was a two point. It was a one point win. Uh, was it 31, 32 or something like that? I don't remember the exact score right. from last year, but overtime victory for LSU. Uh, but at the same time, you saw what Alabama tried to do against Tennessee. And I think some of that was to respect the, the style of offense that Tennessee plays. I think some of it was to respect Joe Milton's ability to run the football. And that was kind of using some three-man fronts in some situations. That gives you an extra defender. Is that defender going to spy? Is that defender going to drop in coverage? And now you're dropping eight. And what's interesting is that LSU's offense, to a certain degree, it's not played the same way that Tennessee's was last year. But with the difficulties in playing Tennessee's offense was you had a veteran quarterback who not only could beat you with his arm, but he could beat you with his legs. Uh, so you got to account for a lot when it comes to just the quarterback. You've got several different options in the passing game, several good receivers. You've got the one dominant receiver. You had Jalen Hyatt last year. Uh, you know, Malik Neighbors this year has been phenomenal. You've got one of the best, in my opinion, wide receiver twos in all of college football and Brian Thomas Jr. You've got him to kind of compliment. So you've got good pass catchers kind of all over the field. You got to account for them. I don't think LSU is elite at tight end, but just like Tennessee last year, they got somebody that's more than serviceable. I would say actually Mason Taylor's probably better than what Tennessee has had at that position, but you got a good offensive line, an experienced group that's not giving up a lot of pressure. They're able to run the football more effectively than they were at the beginning of the year, so they have that complementary traditional run game with a couple of good running backs, and so they can beat you in so many different ways that I'm curious to see how Alabama chooses to attack this LSU offense, not only compared to how they tried to last year, but also how they played or they tried to play Tennessee in the first half a couple of weeks ago and how they tried to play Tennessee last year. Yeah, and, uh, you know, probably the most famous play or the one I have seen video of a thousand times was a third and long. Is it really – I say third and long. is really, I think, third and nine. Uh and Jaden Daniels uh, scrambled. It wasn't a quarterback design run. It was a scramble for a first down, a key, a key first down that no doubt helped cause Alabama to lose that game. And uh, the reason we've seen a video a thousand times, it was like one of the first times Alabama fans in mass <laughs> discovered that Alabama sometimes lined up with just one defensive lineman on the field. But uh, when Alabama is in that was in there, uh, I guess the, you know the cheetah package as they called it a year ago with three outside linebackers on the field, they sometimes or often uh, when they went to that third outside linebacker uh, took a defensive tackle off the field and, uh, and would line up with one defensive lineman and three outside linebackers uh, on the field. Uh, and then, you know, with, with six defensive backs out there and a, a lot of fans were complaining uh, and, and, and because that, that play didn't work out, obviously. Uh, oftentimes, the cheetah package did work, and that's why I think why it went so long without being noticed, because largely it worked, uh, because Alabama would only deploy it on third and long, and the other team didn't have a very good chance. But with Jaden Daniels, man, he, pass rush situations turn into punt returns. I mean, because he literally has the elusiveness and agility of a punt returner back there. Uh, one thing will be interesting for me, you mentioned Nickel Rabbits and how that's disappeared. I think what will not disappear is that exact same package. I, I think I think Jaden Daniels will see it some of the time on third and long. I think Alabama will line up in what they, they're now this year calling the Raptor package. So three outside linebackers on the field, Turner, Braswell, and Q Robinson, uh, and, and with usually one defensive lineman. Oftentimes that's Jamarian Latham. Uh, they'll keep an inside linebacker on the field, usually Deontay Lawson. And they do – fun things with Robinson and Lawson on those plays. Sometimes they both blitz. Sometimes one of them does. Sometimes they both drop. But they'll want to keep Jaden Daniels guessing. One of the reasons I like it, I know it failed at a critical moment a year ago. It did fail in, in a critical moment that helped decide the game. But, man, Clint, when you got to run down Jaden Daniels, you're not going to run him down with Tim Smith and Justin Aboigby and, and Tim Keenan. You know, you're not going to run him down. The more speed you have on the field, the better chance you have of, of running down Jaden Daniels. So I don't think the key for the game uh, to me, Clint, is, okay, let's let's use the Raptor a lot more because we need that speed on the field. I don't think that's the case at all. 
But I do think you have to use it. I think you have to change it up. I think you have to give Jaden Daniels a lot to think about. And I think you have to get him really worried about what personnel Alabama has on the field. Are they in Raptor? Are they in nickel? Are they in just regular dime rabbit? Uh, Who's going to be applying the pressure and where is it coming from? Get Jaden Daniels worried about all that stuff and not not as as, uh, locked in on Malik Neighbors and Brian Thomas down the field. Uh, I, I think changing it up is something that Alabama needs to do, and I suspect we'll see a lot of that, a lot of Raptor, a lot of Dime Rabbit, a lot of heavy nickel. That's what Alabama's done most of the season is heavy nickel. That's the, the typical package Alabama has on the field in 2023. Uh, that's what they do best. That's what they're most comfortable with. So, of course, we're going to see a ton of that. But I would mix it up and, and get Jaden Daniels thinking back there. Yeah, I would too. Um, and that's something, you know, compared to, I feel like Alabama was too conservative against Tennessee last year uh, in Knoxville. I think Georgia and having that home crowd at your back, you know, especially defensively, you can kind of use some of that to your advantage as far as creating some issues for the offense, uh, getting your, uh, your, your defensive players, getting a little bit more juice out of them because they're feeling that energy of the crowd. So I think home and away kind of factored in to some degree in how Alabama played Tennessee and how Georgia played them a couple of weeks later. But also Georgia had the blueprint of what not to do, which is what Alabama did, which was also an advantage. But, you know, I don't think that Alabama should even attempt to play Jaden Daniels in this LSU offense the same way. I think they need to be a little bit more aggressive, controlled aggression. You know, you can't lose gap responsibility and things like that. you got to play disciplined football against a quarterback like Jaden Daniels. But I think that you have to also be a lot more in attack mode. And one thing I'll give Kevin still credit for this year, both him and Nick Saban, it's really been the entire defensive staff, but Kevin still is kind of the the different piece there, him and Robert Bala, you know, in particular, where you need to be more aggressive in how you attack this game plan. And Kevin still has been more aggressive in a lot of situations. And there's been times where Alabama's paid for it, but there's also been a lot of times where it's worked out. And that's the, that's the risk you run. That's the point of being aggressive. If it was conservative, it wouldn't be considered aggressive. And so you got to take some chances. You got to take some risk. And, you know, you're going to give up plays to this LSU offense. I think the approach needs to be this is going to happen. Like we need to take some risk because it's not about stopping them on every series. It's about getting the key stops that we need to to give our offense a chance to create sort of some sort of separation against a very uh, vulnerable defense. Now, here's the thing, though. Can Alabama trust that from its offense? Because you have seen so many consecutive three and outs, and the offense goes long periods of time without being able to get anything going. Uh, you know, that's another question entirely. And if they feel like they can't trust it, you know, with a Bryce Young led offense, I think going into this game, even if there were some struggles with the offensive line, maybe your run game isn't as strong as it's been in years past with him at quarterback, and they had their fair share of three and outs too, don't get me wrong, but you probably trusted more of Bryce is going to be able to dissect this secondary, find the open guy. We're going to be able to move the football consistently pretty much at will, and so maybe you would trust that more. Jalen Milrow, even though LSU, due to some of their struggles, they're going to present some opportunities, but maybe Jalen Milrow doesn't always see those opportunities as well as other quarterbacks. So that might fi- factor into this whole equation as well. You know, uh, Jalen Milrow at least is sort of healthier going into this game than Bryce was a year ago. That's one one factor we're probably not fully considering or maybe talked about enough on our offense show is that, you know, Bryce was really banged up in this game. He didn't practice all week, played his worst game. Uh, I think, of this two-year starting career at Alabama, whereas I think Milrow, uh, believe it or not, this sounds insane because there's probably going to be some errors mixed in, but Alabama might actually get better quarterback play in this game than they did a year ago. And, and, and again, that's due to Bryce not being healthy and not practicing, you know, uh, in, in the lead-up to LSU, whereas Milrow clearly has, and Milrow's probably healthier than he's been uh, during the middle part of the season. So, I think uh, I, I, I like where Alabama's at quarterback-wise this week, even compared to last year. But, you know, I, I think there's going to be a ton on the secondary in this game, Clint, regardless of what Alabama does with their pressures up front, regardless of what happens with 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 the Raptor package or whether you're going to play Dime Rabbit, as you su- su- suggest. 
I mean, nickel rabbit, as you suggested early, that we might see some of that. We haven't seen a lot of it this year. We've seen some, but we haven't seen a lot of it, where just last year you were exclusively in nickel rabbit basically all season long. Uh, but this year I hadn't seen as much of that. So regardless of the pressure package, uh, there will be a lot of pressure on Kool-Aid McKinstry and Terry on Arnold in this game dealing with Malik Neighbors and Brian Thomas Jr., just two, probably as good of wide receiver duo as Alabama uh, will face all season long. Those Texas guys were good, and those Texas A&M guys were good. But uh, I don't know that they had two as good as Neighbors and Thomas. I mean, those, those guys are just outstanding. Uh, they have others, too. Uh, late, uh, I think, you know, Lacey, the guy that, that lines up a lot in the slot, he's, uh, he's dangerous. Uh, you know, LSU doesn't lack for dudes at wide receiver. But Neighbors and Brian Thomas do most of the damage. And, uh, boy, what a matchup. You know, I, uh, NFL scouts love this game. I mean, th there, there will be more NFL scouts at this game than any game all season long or maybe as many as there was at the Alabama-Texas game. And one of the things that those guys are going to be looking at, that they're excited, they're excited about getting Tuscaloosa Saturday, Clint, is Kool-Aid McKinstry versus Malik Neighbors. They want to see this. They want to see Terry on Arnold versus Brian Thomas. And because Alabama plays left and right corners and doesn't follow guys around, there's also going to be a lot of Arnold on Neighbors and a lot of McKinstry on Thomas. Um, it, that, those will be fantastic matchups. And you can expect, usually when you have great players like that, Clint, on both sides, uh, I think what you can expect is good players, good plays by all four of them. There will be times that Alabama fans go, wow, Kool-Aid is so good. Wow, Taron Arnold, that was awesome. And there's going to be times where you're like, oh, neighbors got us or Thomas got us. You knew that was coming. Uh, they're just good players. When, when when they're good players, all you can do sometimes is just tip your hat. Yeah, and Malik Neighbors spends about half of his snaps, uh, maybe not quite half, but close to it enough where you can probably call it half, spends a lot of time in the slot as well. And that is a matchup that I think LSU is going to try to exploit. You know, I think Malachi Moore, first of all, I don't think we're talking enough about how the bye week could have helped Alabama health-wise. You know, we know, we know that it didn't really help LSU a ton. Uh, based off of comments that Brian Kelly's made, and they just ended up losing Wingo, uh, one of their interior defensive linemen, uh, for this game, and I think for the season, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, that's that's a tough blow as well. But Alabama, we haven't really gotten injury updates on some of these guys, um, and I don't think Nick Saban's going to provide a ton. Probably we'll say they're practicing, we'll have to wait and see. We feel healthier than, you know, this week than we did last week, you know, whatever you'll, you'll get those kind of answers. But as far as definitively knowing who's going to be available and who won't be, uh, you know, it, it's hard to tell, but Malachi Moore is going to be closer to a hundred percent. Terry and Arnold, you know, Nick Saban mentioned before that he felt like in a few days, he would be able to clear protocol concussion protocol and should be fine. So you would assume he's going to be available. Uh, but Moore, he's been a fantastic player for Alabama this season. He's really grown. You know, he's a great leader. He's an excellent run defender. Some of his limitations and coverage still exist, though. Uh, I think he's improved in that area, but I don't think he's become an elite force, uh, you know, in that facet of the game. And so I think that if you're LSU, and it's not just going to be Malachi Moore, you're going to see Malik Neighbors lined up against a ton of different people. They're going to move him around, try to create some mismatches, but you're going to see him on Kool-Aid. You're going to see him on uh, Tyrion Arnold, but Malachi Moore, I wouldn't be shocked if that was a a fairly consistent place that LSU felt like they could go as far as winning a matchup. And then also Brian Thomas Jr. with kind of his length and stuff. Sometimes Alabama's perimeter corners against those bigger receivers, they tend to panic in coverage. You'll see the pass interference get drawn or you'll see them give up a catch. Um, and so I wouldn't be shocked at all if Brian Thomas Jr. had a couple of, of you know, sizable gains, um, probably on Tyrion and Arnold, but I wouldn't be shocked if Kool-Aid McKinstry gave up one too. Uh, you know, it's so it's from an Alabama fan's perspective, if you see them come out and probably with the scripted drives and stuff, I haven't looked into this, I probably need to. But as far as scripted drives, I mean, LSU has seemingly come out pretty, you know, on it uh in a lot of games it's felt like there have been games where they haven't but if early in this football game you're probably going to see alabama's defense struggle as they're trying to figure some things out lsu is going to throw some wrinkles in that alabama hadn't seen that's just part of it 
uh, Alabama's hopefully going to have some wrinkles for LSU, you know, on the other side of the football. And maybe you will see some things defensively, some wrinkles thrown in there to kind of try to throw Jaden Daniels off. And if they can early on, then you can really get that crowd involved. I think the encouraging part, though, is that Alabama's home crowd against Ole Miss, you know, all the dysfunction offensively in that game against Ole Miss in the first half and the frustration that you could just tell was oozing from the fan base, they started to get involved in the second half. And so it wasn't like the the first half vibe of the game and the struggles from the offense carried over to the second half. The same thing with Tennessee. You're getting smoked in the first half against the Vols. Crowds like, what is happening? We're not about to let them. We go 15 years in a row. They win once, and now we're going to let them go twice, and it's it's a beatdown. It's not just winning. Now they're beating us down. It was just the first half frustration from not only the team but the fans. They were able to write that ship, and the crowd got really involved, and it became a very exciting, emotional game. This game starting off at night. You think the energy is certainly going to be there. I think Alabama needs to, to start uh, strong. They haven't been starting strong in some of these games, whether it be defense going out there against Tennessee and letting them go down the field and score, whether it be the offense going out there and going three and out, being very predictable offensively to start off games, kind of filling things out. I think they're too predictable. You know, Tommy Reese at times trying to get a feel for what the defense is doing rather than trying to, you know, catch the defense off, uh, you know, uh, on its heels a little bit, doing some different things. So just, I will be curious to see exactly how the crowd plays into it, the defense responds, and all those different things. Yeah, you can't get in a hole. I mean, Tennessee put Alabama in a hole, but Alabama was able to recover. Uh, Tennessee just doesn't have LSU's offense. I mean, the, the problem with getting in a hole at LSU, it's not that Alabama can't come back. If Alabama's offense struggles in the first quarter, uh, I'm still confident that Alabama can come back and, and ring up some points in the second, third, and fourth quarter. But you got to get stops. You got to get stops to come back. And Alabama was able to get those stops against Tennessee. Tennessee didn't score at all in the second half. You're not going to do that to LSU. There's just no way. That's just not a, even a, a possibility. Uh, so what, if you get in a hole to LSU, sure, you can score. But if you're in, but, but you probably won't get the stops it will take to win the game. So I think I think a game that plays out similarly to Tennessee would not be good for Alabama. I think getting down 20 to 7, 21 7, you know, that, that's just going to require stops that probably just aren't there. So getting off to a, start, a good start is imperative, I think, in this game. Hey, and if LSU comes out like they've been and, and, and scores on the first two possessions, that's fine if Alabama can match it or score once, I mean, and not get too far behind. Uh, but you can't let LSU score their first two or three drives while Alabama flails because that that hole is just going to be too deep this time around. So I think the start's huge. I think the crowd at the beginning of the game is big. And uh, just imagine the momentum Alabama could have, Clint, that could last even for up to four quarters if LSU on their first possession goes three and out or even six and out and has to punt the ball to Alabama, who takes advantage of, of LSU's missing defenders, and Alabama gets off to the good start, I think it's going to be difficult at that point for LSU to overcome the crowd, which could be really noisy for 60 minutes and not just the 30 minutes of the Tennessee game. So I do think the crowd and the home field advantage is significant in this outcome. It was significant last year for LSU. LSU won a really tightly contested game. I think Alabama fans realize Alabama wasn't – it wasn't the Tennessee game. Alabama wasn't horrible for 60 minutes against LSU last year on defense or offense, really. And uh, I, I really think that game a year ago, Clint, if you could have one play back, I know some people point to that third and nine that we talked about earlier with Jaden Daniels scrambling. To me, it was the Bryce interception on the first drive of the game. I mean, I, I think that decided it right then and there. Uh, it goes to overtime. Uh, maybe it doesn't if, if Alabama gets that seven points right there and puts LSU on their heels. Uh, Alabama absolutely cannot afford to give points away Saturday night. Uh, they need sevens and not threes. And when they get inside the 10, get inside the 15, you need touchdowns. You certainly don't need to turn it over like Bryce and the offense did a year ago in that situation. 
because LSU is going to score. That's the part that I want to emphasize enough. As good as Alabama's defense is, LSU is going to score in this game and force Alabama to score. That That's why you need the sevens and not the threes. Yeah, and the, the, the Bryce Young example, I understand that he was rusty because he was limited in practice. He didn't do a whole lot. Uh, the timing of the offense, all those things certainly played a factor. But anybody who watched that game, watched that interception, and maybe the 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 ball placement because he was rusty caused it. But following the interception, he was also slightly rattled. In fact, I don't know that I ever saw him in any other game that he played at Alabama look a little flustered like he did in that LSU game. My point in saying that is he has that clutch gene. You know, you look against Texas uh, last year, you look against Auburn in the 2021 Iron Bowl. The guy just has that it factory, doesn't let things get to him. He's got ice in his veins. And yet LSU at night with that home crowd was able to do something early to kind of get Bryce Young off of his game. And that ended up making him be have a very uncharacteristic game. And so I say all these things, good things about Jaden Daniels and saying he doesn't really get rattled. He's got ice in his veins. The crowd and the defense can still affect him, you know? So I don't want to say that that's impossible. I'm saying for you to bank on that would probably be unwise. Uh, But yes, Alabama, and you said they need to score touchdowns and not field goals, especially when you get into the red zone. I think also on the flip side of that, you need to hold LSU to field goals. Like if the on the first drive of the game, if if LSU gets the ball first and you put the defense out there, the crowd's feeling a lot of energy. You now position your offense where they're going to get to start the second half with the football. That's already big. But even if LSU goes down the field, marches down the field rather quickly, if you can hold them to a field goal, I still think that's a win on the opening drive. And some people might not view it that way. I do because I think Alabama is going to be able to, if you can do what you did against Tennessee which is on some of those key possessions, if Tennessee converts some of those trips, uh, red zone trips to touchdowns and not field goals, I don't know Alabama has the confidence that they could come back in the second half like they did. That was such a critical part of that game that we don't talk about enough is that the defense was able to get stops uh, in the red zone to force those field goals and keep the offense within striking distance. And even though you got down two scores, which is a lot, uh, it was, you know, it could have been so much worse. And and that was, you know, two scores is still manageable. And we've learned that this Alabama offense can overcome that type of deficit. Can they overcome a three-touchdown deficit? You know, can they overcome 24 points? Uh, that's something else entirely, even against this LSU defense, because your offense or your, your defense also has to get stops against their offense, which is tough to do. Um, so, yeah, all this stuff plays a factor. Limit the explosive plays. LSU has been... God, they've been so incredible at explosive plays, but Alabama's been pretty good defensively at limiting them. So, you know, who ends up winning that battle? Um, Just from a fan base perspective, from a crowd perspective, stay in this football game, even if things aren't going Alabama's way, maybe early on. You hope that they come out out of the bye week. They figure some things out offensively. You're seeing some wrinkles being thrown in there, you know, Kendrick Laws maybe lining up at running back in the backfield or something, you know, some different things. Maybe you get that, or maybe you get some slow starts like we've seen in some of these other games. But, and that's not good. But at the same time, the crowd can't get out of it because the crowd is such a major advantage for Alabama in this game. Yeah, I'm not calling for this game to, you know, in terms of what, how I'm going to predict it. I'm not saying it's going to play out this way, but I can see a scenario very similar to the Florida State game which I think is the the team that LSU has played that is most similar to Alabama. Uh, Florida State's good defensively, not as good as Alabama, but they're good on defense. They also have a playmaking dual threat quarterback in Jordan Travis who can make plays with his arm and with his legs. Well, what Florida State has that maybe Alabama doesn't is those, those wide outs, Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson, who are just outstanding wide receivers. But Alabama's got good receivers, and LSU's corners probably aren't as good as they were back in game one when they had more of their regular players and their transfer portal guys. So what happened in that Florida State-LSU game? Well, it was tight. It was tight for three quarters, and 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 it was kind of anybody's game 
And then in the fourth quarter, Florida State just became too much. They were just better on defense, and they had playmakers that wide out, and, and they sort of took LSU out and, and took them behind the woodshed for one quarter in that fourth quarter. And you know what? That sounds a little bit like Alabama, doesn't it? That's kind of how Alabama has played lately, where they get off to the slow start. But even Alabama versus Texas was was uh, Alabama had a, a, a very small lead going into the fourth quarter. It had been tightly contested for three quarters, and it was Texas who had the big fourth quarter. I think there is a scenario, uh, and it makes some sense that that could be what we see uh, Saturday night. Clint is three quarters of a dogfight, a physical football game where either team can win it, where both teams' star players step up and make plays, and it's a tight game. But in the fourth quarter, some reality sets in. Alabama's playing at home. Alabama's got the better defense and is capable of stops. And Alabama's got playmakers, namely Milrow, Burton, and Bond. And the combination of that is just too much for LSU in the fourth quarter. Absolutely. And and talking about that Texas game, it it has – it does have some similarities to the challenges that LSU can present offensively. It's a night game in Tuscaloosa. So it was that Texas game uh, start, starting a little bit later, but I think it was a 6 p.m. kickoff. Uh, but the key difference, in my opinion, was that you had the defense played well to start that game pretty well. You know, they were giving up some, but it was really, you know, the response after turnovers from Milrow, that played a factor. Um, you know, the defense really couldn't overcome like against uh, Texas A&M. Milrow throws an interception. Caleb Downs comes back and immediately gets Alabama's offense the football back. You didn't see that kind of thing from the defense against Texas. But overall, I thought they played pretty decently until really late in the second half. And then things really started to fall apart. Complimentary football. You're not seeing that enough. But the key difference in that game, in my opinion, compared to this one was the fact that Texas's defense, I feel like, is a lot more established and a lot better uh, than, you know, LSU's. And so you had spurts. The offense and the defense had trouble getting on the same page at the same time because they were being presented with challenges on both sides of the football. So aligning that becomes a lot more difficult. If you can get consistent success, which isn't uh, automatic by any means, like Alabama, it doesn't matter how bad your defense is, Alabama can struggle against you offensively. I mean, really, they're the ones that dictate games and how things play out. It's kind of bizarre. Uh, so Alabama can shoot itself in the foot, go three and out a couple of drives in a row, and you know, you're really not, even though LSU's defense should be presenting you some opportunities to create some some distance or get some momentum going, the offense just shooting itself in the foot is not able to take advantage of it. And so that will be interesting to see. But against Ole Miss's offense, which is a really good offense, against Texas, uh, did they play great football for four quarters? No. Uh, Did they play great football against Ole Miss for four quarters? No. It was more of a second-half struggle against Texas, first-half struggle against uh, Ole Miss. But they've proven that they can go spurts and present their offense with chances to take hold of the football game, even against really good offenses. And LSU is a completely different beast. I don't think there will be quite as many of those chances but I think the defense is good enough to present some of those. And the offense is why I said kind of from the beginning of this episode, the offense has to be able to take advantage of those opportunities. Well, you're, you're, you might not be given too many opportunities, right? And, uh, you know, LSU is a very, very good football team. As a matter of fact, I think they're this good. Should LSU win this game, Clint? Should they win this game? I think they went out and could very, possibly beat Georgia. Last year when LSU played Georgia in Atlanta, I gave LSU about zero chance to win that football game. This year, I will not. Uh, This year, if LSU's playing well and are relatively healthy, can beat Alabama and Tuscaloosa, beat Texas A&M at the end, watch out, Georgia. I mean, Jaden Daniels is that good. He's a game changer. I I think he's a first-round pick. I'm I'm surprised. I I, You know, I saw uh, in in a a mock draft that some Falcons fan did on a Falcons website, just looking around the Internet at mock drafts, uh, a Falcons guy said uh, for for his mock draft of the Falcons, he he was projecting that the Falcons would draft Jaden Daniels in round two and Brian Thomas in round three. And uh, I was like, dude, they're not going to. 
hey, I'm hey for a, I'm sure all Falcons fans hope that that's the case that they can get Jaden Daniels in round two and Brian Thomas in round three because I don't think either one of them are going to be there when uh, <laughs> when it comes time to I think Jaden Daniels will be gone by round two and Brian Thomas will be gone by round three and they won't be Falcons in those rounds. You're going to have to expend more draft capital than that to get those two dudes. Uh, you're, he's just a good player. So you might not get a lot of opportunities Saturday night. You got to take advantage of them. Uh, turnovers. You know, uh, I would say turnovers have plagued Alabama. That, that's really not the case numbers wise. I think there are six or even seven, but I know there's at least six starting quarterbacks in the SEC alone that have thrown as many or more interceptions than Jalen Milrow. I know if you ask a lot of Alabama fans about how turnover prone Milrow is, they'll go, yes, it's bad. Well, it's not good, but it's also not nearly as bad as, let's say, Devin Leary, who's, who's thrown, thrown several more. But you can't help LSU's defense on offense. I mean, this show's about, you, you know, uh, the, the other side of the ball, but Alabama's offense cannot help LSU's defense. You have to take advantage of LSU's defense. Don't help them by turning the ball over. Conversely, uh, Clint, how big is it for Alabama's defense to force turnovers? I mean, that is what could get this game really one-sided because we know Alabama's going to have some success scoring. If they can not only get stops but get extra possessions, especially in field position, that's when this game could start getting comfortable. So as you pointed out earlier, playing aggressive, forcing turnovers, we hadn't really seen a lot of that from LSU. That's why Jaden Daniels is first or second most Heisman, you know, polls this week. Uh, that's just absolutely massive. Forcing turnovers, whether they're fumbles or picks, that could really change uh, the whole tenor of the game Saturday. It absolutely could. Yeah. And, you know, that was something, the turnovers against Texas, you know, that was something that allowed them. It was the timing. It gave them early momentum on the first interception. And then on the second, it was kind of the dagger, you know, it was what really affected, uh, uh, essentially ended Alabama's chances of winning the football game. Um, so you can't have those kind of things. And I think that Milrow has done a better job of that as of late, um, you know, and, and can LSU's defense bait Jalen Milrow into those sort of mistakes like Texas was able to? I mean, and Ole Miss was able to bait him into one down in the end zone. Uh, in the first half of, of their game, and they're not very good defensively. So I'm not saying it can't happen, but I think every time Milrow makes one of those mistakes, he learns from it. Uh, doesn't mean that he can't repeat it, but I'm saying that I think that it, something stands out in the back of his mind, and it's, it, it's, it's a little bit more difficult to get him that way. So that certainly is going to play a major part. And Alabama's defense has not generated a ton of turnovers this year. Um, they're better than last year, certainly but I still say they could afford to get some more interceptions, uh, really just turnovers in general, however you get them. But the other key aspect of this, we talk about avoiding the three and outs. We talk about, you know, taking advantage of your stops. We talk about all these different things. Don't allow LSU to flip field position when you're able to get a stop by not fielding punts. Kool-Aid McKinstry has to field punts because if you're allowing them, the offense is too inconsistent. For you to not field a punt, you back up the offense a lot further back than it should be. They go three and out, which would not be a shock to anybody if that happens. Now Alabama has to punt the football, and James Burnup has bailed Alabama out of some of those situations, so you have to feel confident in his ability to do that should they be you know, presented with some of those. But at the same time, if he has, you know, we've also seen him shank a punt or two, and if that happens, you give LSU the football at the 50-yard line, that offense the football at the 50-yard line, or the you know 45 going in or the 40 or whatever, those are things that you can't do as well. Uh, this offense, I understand LSU's defense is vulnerable, but you don't want to force them to consistently make 85-yard drives, 80-yard drives, you know, whatever. Uh, it needs to be filled punts. That's another crucial factor in this as well. All right, Jimmy, do you have anything else that you want to add before we hop out of here? Yeah, just on that last point, I would say, you know, this is just a gut feeling I have, and we've seen Alabama do this once this year, but uh, about the punts, because I, I agree, you can't continue doing what you're doing. It's not sustainable. You're going to lose a game because of it. Uh, 
I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, twin punt returners, you know, two guys back, uh, because it, at that point, it's you know, you're not punting away from Kool Aid. You're not ma- you're not making the catch so difficult. You're either going to be punting towards Kool Aid or, or or towards the other guy. It would probably be Caleb Downs in that situation. And uh, I, I think uh, that that might be something to, that, that happens Saturday and maybe Alabama makes a big play out of it. So I, I would look for that. It's just a way to combat uh, what's been going on in the punt game. And that is something that that's a viable solution. I mean, you know, you don't see that too often, but if you do that, at least you're not giving, you know, that at least you're not adding 10 to 15 to 20 yards on the end of punts that shouldn't be there. You've got two guys who are able, somebody should be able to get underneath it and field it. Uh, pretty comfortably and so that's a that's an excellent point and you i mean i don't know how many punts there's gonna be i mean lsu might not punt a ton i mean that's possible so you might need but on those times that they do that's been a major concern and it's an unnecessary concern like the left tackle is the left tackle you know the you are who you are in a lot of ways but just if you've ran under a thousand punts you know kool-aid last year no issues with this uh, and I understand that they're kicking away from him a lot more. They're trying to prevent right. him from being the game-breaking player that he is with a football in his hands. I get that. That makes things more difficult. But, um, you know, they, they, they punt away from other guys too, and they punt in a way where it's not able to be returned. But the guys can still get under it and field it, and that's something that you got to do more consistently. If it happens every once in a while, that's fine. It's happening every punt right now, and that's just something right. that we've never really seen, and it's got to get fixed. And I, I have a – a feeling that it's going to get fixed. I'm not concerned about that continuing to be an issue right, whatsoever. Uh, Jimmy, this has been fun. Hopefully it's been informative to the listeners. Hopefully, you know, I'm actually moving around on the screen and no one's watching a black screen. Um, <laughs> I told you before, if that happens again, I might riot. Uh, I, I, it took me forever to come up with a solution when that happened the first time, and I couldn't believe that it happened. But uh, hopefully everything's fine on screen. Hopefully everything turns out fine on Saturday. Either way, we'll be back talking about it, breaking it down, recapping it on Monday. But before that, we also got Thursday Night Todd. We're going to be doing some more previews uh, with Travis, and that's, you know, I I love doing that. It's just there was a bye week, not as much to react to this week, and it's a huge game. It it has such a major impact on the outcome of the SEC West, potentially the SEC, the college football playoff picture. And so, you know, well, why not give a little bit of extra attention to what is a fascinating matchup, whether you're talking about Alabama's defense, Alabama's offense against, you know, LSU's offense and defense. I mean, just the, the matchups are so perfect. Um, and we'll save score predictions probably for tomorrow, uh, if I had to guess. I know we're going to be doing the staff score predictions over at BAM Online. You definitely need to go check that out. Uh, Tim's normally pretty spot on. I don't know how he does it, but he's – he does a pretty good job of those. Yeah. I mean, and everybody does a great job. We're all kind of in the same ballpark, but it always feels like Tim's just a little bit closer than the rest of us. And I want to beat him this week, but we'll have that up in written form. uh, So definitely go check that out. And then we'll probably also be giving some score predictions on Thursday night, Todd as well. Uh, Jimmy, as always, I appreciate you, brother. It's been good talking to you and we'll talk to you soon.